O Lord, our God, you have chosen to make yourself known through your creation, your word, your son, and your spirit. Now reveal your glory to us and through us, the church. Speak to us, form us, lead us, dwell in us. Teach us today how to love as Jesus loves, to welcome the stranger, heal the sick, and care for the poor, to bear good news, build bridges, and bring your people home. For Christ in us is the hope of glory. May your perfect will prevail in us this day. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So, as Albert, Pastor Albert has shared in a previous sermon, we got to experience General Assembly for the first time last month. It's a convention that brings the global Nazarene church, and that's about 30,000 pastors and lay leaders and church members all coming together, and every, general, every four years at General Assembly, our denomination, we recognize past the accomplishments, uh, sometimes our failures, we refocus our vision, we revitalize our dreams. And this last month, as usual, uh, the, the general superintendents gave their reports. And I couldn't help but cheer along with the rest of them when they projected on the screen the growth we've had in membership all over the world. Right? So in the Africa region, membership for the Nazarene Church has more than doubled in the past decade. And in the Eurasia region, we have more than tripled in our membership. In the South America region, we've almost doubled, and we've had increases in our Asia-Pacific region. The assembly was excited, and we were all praising the Lord. Then the cheering stopped on the last slide. USA-America region. The graph showed a flat line. You know, all over the world, the Nazarene church is thriving and growing, and one would say even monumentally, but here in the USA America region, there was no sign of growth. Actually, let me take that back. Statistics show that the multi ethnic and minority congregations were indeed growing in the USA America region. But if there is this cross cultural growth, then that would indicate that the numbers in our homogenous American congregations were declining, or are declining. So what is going on? Why is it that the church, and this is not just the Nazarene church, why is it that the church is vibrant and growing outside of American culture, but rapidly declining within? What is going on? Is it because church is seen as a waste of time? Is it, did we lose our mojo, you know, our reason to exist, our purpose? Is it because the American church has become lazy and lifeless? You know, we try to blame secularism, we blame the media, spiritual darkness, but that, that doesn't make sense because there's spiritual darkness and great wickedness in those very regions where the church is indeed growing. In fact, 
it would seem that the difficulties and trials seem to spur on more growth in those regions. Then is it because we are too comfortable? Trinity Church, are we too comfortable? You know, the church was never meant to be comfortable. You know, the Christian church was designed to be on mission. And when we take our eyes off of that focus, we lose that joy and purpose in partnering with God. So if you recall, the theme for the year is Christ in us. Christ in us is the hope of glory. And when we allow Christ to reign in us, the hope of glory will fill this present darkness. So our new sermon series, which Pastor Albert briefly introduced last week, is called Prophets, Priests, and Healers. And in this series, we're going to explore some of the roles, the different roles that Jesus had during his ministry here on earth. We're, we are going to reflect on his grace, his beauty, and, and the integrity in which Jesus held these different offices. And we are going to discover how the Lord put that mantle on us to continue his work until he returns and takes us home. So if Jesus was a prophet, then we should also be prophets. If Jesus was a priest, then we too should be priests. And if Jesus was a healer, we should be healers as well. Christ in us. And if we truly believe that, then his characteristics, his qualities, his priorities should be evidence in us. So for those of you that know me well, you know that I am an avid Star Wars fan. You know, I love it. And in the last movie, uh, Rogue One, when Han Solo and Chewbacca, when they come back onto screen, I, embarrassingly, I literally had tears falling down my face. It was, woo, yes, Chewbacca, you know? It was just amazing. In that last movie, one of my favorite new characters is this blind warrior named Chirrut Inway. So he's blind, and he has this mantra. You guys are really excited about this Star Wars. So, so there's that character, Inway. So he has this mantra that he repeats over and over again in his head. Right? He says, I am one with the force. The force is in me. I am one with the force, and the force is in me. Right? And so he repeats this over and over again in times of disaster and crisis. And it seems to connect him deeper with the force. Gives him confidence. Mentally prepares him for battle. So he's saying this, I am one with the force and the force is with me. All these laser guns are going past him. I am one with the force and the force is with me. And he battles, what, does, he, does he have a gun? I can't, sword. Does he, see, I, I, I am an avid Star Wars fan, but I also lose my memory in this. A staff, he has a staff and he's fighting with the staff. And he's saying, I'm one with the force and the, the force is in me. He walks by force and not by sight. <laughs> I mean, he's blind. How can he walk by sight? Now, of course, I realize that our faith is so much more than the Jedi force. I'm not trying to um, compare the two. Our faith is not some power that we use 
in times of crisis. Rather, our faith is in the living God. But yet it seems difficult to find a follower of Jesus with the same kind of blind, blind faith as Chirrut and Wayne. Do we have that kind of blind faith? And what would be a mantra of a Christian? I am a new creation in Christ. Christ is in me. I am a new creation in Christ. Christ is in me. So when we face disaster or crisis, do we believe this? I am a new creation in Christ. Christ is in me. The son of the living God is in me and in you. Do we live life like that? So repeat it with me. I am a new creation in Christ. Christ is in me. Oh, say it like you believe it. I am a new creation in Christ. Christ is in me. In fact, our actions would demonstrate that we don't embrace this truth in our lives. I'd say most of us, we feel spiritually weak and powerless. And in John 14, 12, Jesus tells his disciples, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And these words are not only for his disciples, but for whoever believes in Jesus. They are for the followers of Jesus, for Christians, for brothers and sisters. Are we doing the works that Jesus had been doing and even greater things? Prophets, priests, and healers. Do we live out these roles in our lives? Today, let's look at Jesus' role as priest. We call Jesus the high priest. And if Jesus is a priest and he is in us, then we are priests too. What does this even mean? I mean, would you consider yourself a priest? How many, of which, how many of you would say, yes, I am a priest? How many of you would say that? It almost sounds sacrilegious, doesn't it? Especially if you have a Catholic background. So are we really to see ourselves as priests? You may have read in the Old Testament about the Levitical priests who were set apart from the rest of the tribe. So if you were a descendant of Levi, you were automatically given the responsibilities and role of clergy. There was a distinction between clergy and lay people. The Levites were the only ones allowed to serve in the temple. They were the only ones that were allowed to perform the rituals, to touch the Ark of the Covenant, or enter the Holy of Holies. And any attempts to do any of these priestly duties by those that were not appointed would usually mean death. But you know, this wasn't always God's design. 
You know, God's intention was never for the descendants of Levi to be the only priestly figures. Did you know that? In truth, God brought the whole nation of Israel out of bondage in Egypt to be a kingdom of priests. In Exodus 19, 4-6, the Lord tells his people, You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. And although this whole earth is mine, you, the whole nation of Israel, will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God's intention was for the entire nation to be a kingdom of priests. But in order to do that, God needed a people of obedience. He says, if you obey me fully, you will be a kingdom of priests. But unfortunately, the story goes on to show that Israel was a people of disobedience. But out of his mercy and love, God appoints priests to act as mediators between himself and his people. And so the priests were to offer up sacrifice to atone for their own sins and the sins of the people. And then the priests would pronounce blessings over God's people, speaking on God's behalf. You know, the priests acted as mediators. Why? Because the people's sins made them disqualified to be in the presence of God to be in that direct relationship with the Lord. So fortunately, this is where the good news of the gospel comes in. Jesus, he becomes our high priest. He becomes our ultimate mediator. You know, so much so that it eliminates any need for an earthly mediator. No need for an Old Testament kind of priesthood. Because Jesus died on that cross and and as the only sacrifice for sin that we will ever need again. So Hebrews 7, it says this in verse 26. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he, meaning Jesus, does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of his people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law, the covenant, the promise from the Lord, appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. So the sacrifice of the cross atones for every sin of the people of God until the end of time. Jesus is the perfect sacrificial lamb. In Hebrews 10, 14, it says this, For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So our sins are forgiven, and he has made us perfect.
perfect. Church, do you feel perfect? Do you feel you can boldly stand in the midst of God, that your sins are fully forgiven? Do you feel that there's no longer a separation between you and God? And I don't mean theologically. I mean practically in your day-to-day. Do you believe this? Because if you don't, if you don't, you do not believe in the gospel. Brothers and sisters, life is ever so much sweeter when we believe. It gives us confidence of the Lord. It gives us the joy of our salvation. And if that was enough, if that wasn't enough, let's look, take a look at what it says in 1 Peter 1, 9. But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I am chosen. You are chosen. Just repeat after me. Say, I am chosen. I am a royal priest. I am made holy. I am God's special possession. You know, believe this. Believe this with all your heart. This is the love of God our Father. This is the power of the cross. So Jesus Christ, he's the high priest. Jesus Christ, he is now in us. So now we are a royal priesthood. So Christ in us truly is the hope of glory. So what does it mean for us to be the royal priesthood? What does that look like? So if you go back to verse 9 here, it says this. It says, that you may declare the praises of him. So as priests, we need to be declaring his praises. So church, when we worship on a Sunday morning, is our posture truly to declare his praises? And let's not mouth the words without deeply understanding what we are singing, what we are praising, that we are declaring the praises of our Lord. And do we declare his praises during the week? when we are stressed, or when we are upset, or when we're lonely, or when we're depressed, or when we're happy and joyful, do we praise our Lord? Do we declare the praises of our Lord? You know, when people share with me sometimes that they're going through difficulty in their homes, like they're having marital problems, or they're constantly fighting with their kids, when family life is exhausting, or when work is going poorly, I always tell them, just put on worship music constantly in your home. You know, so the words of worship and praise can always be heard, even in the mess of life. So 1 Peter 2.4, I'm throwing a lot of verses at you today, I know. As you come to him, the living stone, this is Jesus Christ, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Again, it's repeating again that we are a holy priesthood. 
offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we are to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, we have already mentioned, he's the ultimate sacrifice. So we no longer need mediators to offer up sacrifices to atone for our sins, except through Jesus Christ. So what does this verse mean by offering up spiritual sacrifices? What, what kind of sacrifice is still needed here? In Hebrews 13.15, it says this, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So again, we're declaring his praises. And then it says, Do not forget to do good and share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So do good and share with others. So as priests, we no longer offer up a fattened lamb at the altar for our sins and the sins of our people. But instead, our spiritual sacrifice is to do good and share with others. We heard from our youth group last week that we, can, that we can see, we heard from them, and we can see that they are very serious about this. And they gave the youth van to a, to a church in need in Mexico during their missions trip. Now, I, honestly, how many of you sat there going, were you thinking, what? They did what? They didn't even ask permission? They just gave away the church van? You know, the youth, we should be, we should be proud of our youth, that they had that instinct to do good, and share with others. You know, the, the, the youth was seriously being a royal priesthood. And then some of you went home and jumped on your computer and emailed the staff, and you said, you know what, I want to donate money for a new van. You're doing good, sharing with others. You know, I praise God that Trinity offers up those spiritual sacrifices with such generosity. Thank you for that. So today, I've invited a special guest from our Roland Heights campus. She attends the spiritual, uh, the, the Sp very spiritual Spanish congregation. She's a member of our board, and she is usually found in the church kitchen cooking up a storm. You know, I've asked her to come and share how the Lord is using her. Now, she's truly one of the most amazing individuals I know. So with that, let's welcome Lydia to the platform. Thank you, Pastor Christine. Good morning, everybody. Pastor Christine asked me to share with you guys how the, uh, also, beside cooking, have a jail minister and also the homeless, as you all know about it. I usually don't like to talk about the things that I do but I feel that today is necessary. Maybe someone is asking the Lord, same thing I was asking, Lord, I wanted to serve you, but I didn't know how. I didn't know what to do. I just wanted, I had a desire in my heart, and now that I look back, I see that the Lord put everything in my hands to do something for him. I was thinking he was going to put me to serve in the church, but instead he sent me to the streets 
to work in the streets with people that I didn't know and teach me how to love them. And first of all, the jail minister starts um, in the morning that I was going to my job. I usually pass by the Home Depot. And when I pass by, I see the cops that they were there. And when I turn, they have two guys in custody. So I, I didn't even know how do I react, but I drive my car, park in front of the cops, and, and jump out of the car and tell them, what do they do? What are you taking them? I, I don't know. I wasn't thinking. And thank God, he responded me. <laughs> I trespassed the property of the Home Depot, and that's illegal. And, and I say, how do they know not to do that? You have no signs. And, and then the cop come and respond back to me again and says, you know what? I will release them to you, but you need to talk to the manager of the Home Depot. Before I know I leave my car open, I run inside the Home Depot looking for the manager. I wasn't thinking. So the manager come and told me, no, they trespass the property. And then I, I told her, there's no signs. How can they know? And then she thought about it and she says, okay, I will give them another chance. I will release them to you, but I don't want to see them here. All this time I'm thinking, because I saw them from far away, that I knew these two guys. So then the manager walked with me, told the cops, release them to her. When they opened up the car, to my surprise, I never knew these guys before. So when I look at them, of course I was already there, so I told them, jump into my car, I'm taking you guys back home. I met them right there, I dropped them back to their house, and I told them not to do that anymore. Well, you know, there's a lot of uh, people at the Home Depot looking for jobs. So the word spreads in Roland Heights, Hispanic community, that I saved these two boys, so everybody was like, good for Lydia, and they got to know me. I didn't know all this. I, I got to know this days later because they were looking for me because same exact thing happened to eight guys. But by the time they found me, they have released them already to immigration. So when they told me, what can you do for them? I said, I don't know. I don't know because I really didn't know. So, but I tell them, you know what? On Monday, I will go to immigration and ask if there is something that we can do. And of course I will help you, but I don't know at this moment what to do. So I was thinking in my way to work, okay, my lunch I'm gonna pass by because they have told me that they were in second in Alameda. So I say, I'm gonna go in my lunch, find out what can we do. But then in my, I think, but why didn't I go to their consular? They were from Guatemala. So I said, yeah, that's a, that's a better choice. So I went, and I asked if I can see him. And of course, they asked me, what for? I explained to them the situation, and, and then the secretary went in, and he says that he was going to see me at 1 o'clock to come back. So I went back to my job, and then come back at 1, and he says, okay, I'm going to help you. So he made an appointment. We went to see these eight guys and they released it to me. So I got those 
10 guys already released to me. I didn't even know this was a minister. I, I didn't know. And of course, at all times, I pray for them. I pray with them. And I told them, God help us, because I didn't know what to do. And that's how that minister started. So now, I receive phone calls from people that I, I never know. There's many of them. I get to know them over there at jail. So I've been helping since then a lot of cases. Many of them are being successful. A lot of them are not. But at least I comfort that people. At least I go to the jail and told them, we're praying for you. I mean, here is some money. Get some couple noodles inside, chocolates, soda. I'll do that for the families. And of course, they're blessed, but I'm more blessed. So I've been doing that since then until now. Last phone call I received it 30 minutes ago that they need my help. So I told them that I will call them back this afternoon to see what I can do. And it's something that, that is out of me, and, and I, I don't talk about it. But there is a reason what I'm telling you guys this morning, that I find out in the world, God, that all of us has been called. We have different abilities. We have different gifts, but we can use it for him. And believe me, people are going to be blessed, but we are going to be more blessed. So now with the homeless minister, he started about the same way. I went to purchase some flowers in downtown LA, and it was this woman at the corner. She wasn't asking for any money. All what she wants was food. I didn't give her anything in that day, and I don't recall why. I don't know if I don't have any money. I don't have nothing in my car, and orange and apple. I don't remember why, but it was a purpose and that because my guilty conscience keep reminding her. So we have an event, a big event in my job, and we have all these leftover food that as I see that everybody has finished lunch, I see all these traits, and she comes to my mind. I get up and I went and I look for a director and I ask him if I can take this food to the homeless. And he says, yes, and you don't have to wait to finish your day. Take everything you need, plates, cups, take all the food, have help, put it in your car and go. And that's what I did. I end up downtown LA in the same corner of Six and San Pedro with all this food by myself, <laughs> and I was thinking, my God, am I crazy? I get out of my car, and I start looking, planning, how can I set the trades so I can be able to serve and give drinks at the same time? And as I was thinking, here's a homeless, come to me. My first helper was a homeless. He comes to me and says, you need help, lady? You have food. And I say, yes, I need help. And he says, if you separate from me a trade first, I help you. And I say, of course. <laughs> he chose what he wants. And I separated for him. He started lining up the people and helping me with the drinks. His name was William. And when I finished with all that food, 
I don't remember, I don't count. I don't know about a good 100 people got fit that day. I feel so satisfied. I know I can see them eating and it was something in me that I feel so good that I told him, I want to do this more often. And he says, okay, whenever you come, you look for me in this, in this street and I help you if you give me first. And I say, okay, I'm going to do that. And then, he's, and then I told him, take a good look at my car so you know when I'm coming. And sure enough, I went like one Saturday every month, and I turned around like in my second turn, here he is, Lydia, Lydia, waving at me. We are not here, so we stop, we give food again and again. So all this time I was thinking, oh my God, I wanted to do this big, but how can I storage a lot of food in the streets? So I was like, no, no, I'm crazy. And then Pastor Tony from downtown L.A. Church come to preach in my church. And he mentioned that his church was in Six and San Pedro. When the service finished, I come and I say, where is your church? And he says, right in the corner, some green doors. And I say, I give the food away from your door. Is that your church? He says, yes. And I told him, I have a favor to ask you. And you open up your church. You don't have to do nothing. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to bring everything. I just need room to storage the food. And he says, yes, I will do that. And we start doing it bigger and bigger until right now we do it like in the days of December, close to 1,000 people we served this. Over 900 we served this year. 1,100 last year. And and that's like a tradition, tradition that many people share because I don't do it no more in my own. A lot of people give us money for that. A lot of people help us cook. So this is a minister that right now everybody is involved on it. And I'm, of course, as I repeat it, they got blessed, but I've been more blessed. And this is how everything started, and I hope that somebody can get encouraged for what I say. There is work to do. Let's do it together. God bless you. a week cooking for 40 plus VBS kids this last week. And then she cooked an amazing meal for over 200 people last night for our Roland Heights Got Talent. And then she wakes up this morning, you know, I'm like, oh, Lydia, are you tired this morning? Because I'm exhausted. She's like, no, I woke up this morning thinking, okay, God, what should I do now? And she went up and went to church at our other campus and made breakfast for everybody and then came here to share her, her testimony. So I picture Lydia walking through life thinking, I'm a new creation in Christ. Christ is in me. You know, as she feeds 200 people, as she's going down the streets of Skid Row. And you know, Lydia, she's a little bit of a sneaky one, I've noticed. I don't think she knows that I noticed this. 
But, you know, she loves to cook for ministry. And so we tell her about how many people are going to be there. And then she buys extra, right? She buys extra. And so usually there's like, what, 100 chickens left or something like that. And she's like, oh, I bought too much. I guess I'll go and feed the homeless in Skid Row. And she does that every time. You know, I caught on to you, Lydia, Sister Lydia. But this is her heart, right? She serves the church, and then she goes out and serves the homeless, and she connects people into these ministries as well. You know, I got to be, um, to participate in her last Christmas one, serving over like 800 people. You know, seeing our youth serving side by side, and it was just such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And she's right, we are more blessed than the people are. You know, Lydia is a priest. She's a royal and holy priest. You know, she gets it. And I would venture a guess that the reason why she gets it so deeply is because of her past. You know, she gave her testimony at a women's breakfast one time, so some of you know this, but she was at the brink of death. She had, I think it was a bacterial infection, and so for, for a couple of months, her health started deteriorating and deteriorating to the point where she was just skin and bones. She couldn't even, literally, she could not even get up from bed. You know, the doctors, they basically said, you know, you're going to die sooner than later. You know, one night, she had her family over. She had her son. Her son was there. They, they thought that, that it was going to be her last night. They were not followers of Jesus. And they're saying, okay, I, I saw on TV that we just, we just need to pray. You know, so they, so they just pray over her and they're praying over her and they're praying over her. And then they're like exhausted and they're all sprawled around the floor, around her bed. And then she wakes up. Even Lydia, she felt, this is it. This is, my, this is the end of my life. But after those prayers, and the next morning, she wakes up, and she sees her family on the floor around her, falling asleep. So she gets up. She goes to the restroom. Jesus miraculously saved her life. She died and rose again in Jesus Christ. She knew so vividly in the deep of her soul that it was God who saved her life. And this is how she lives. She lives that Christ, like Christ is in her. And the thing is, you know, God calls us to that same exciting life that Lydia has. He didn't just choose Lydia. He chose me as well. And every one of you sitting in these pews, you know, unfortunately, some of us don't believe that, though. You know, or worse yet, some of us believe or, or don't even want to be part of this royal priesthood. I, I found this quote in, in an article in Christianity Today, and it says this. It is important that we recognize the nature of people and the constructs of culture both push away from the idea of all of God's people are priests and ministers. We don't want a priesthood and ministry of all believers. 
Instead, we want people to go to God for us and leaders to do ministry to us. This is the default condition of the heart. This is natural. This is instinctively how we work. It is the religion that we seem to crave, yet it is not Christianity, at least not biblical Christianity. Perhaps this is why the American church is declining. We have failed to be faithful to the office of being priesthood of all believers. We've given these God-given duties to just a handful of ministers, pastoral staff, who we believe to be God's chosen and anointed. But the truth is, every believer is God's chosen. You know, every believer is a priest. Every believer has Christ in them to help them proclaim God's praises and to do good and to share it with others and to offer up a spiritual sacrifice that is pleasing to God. Church, realize, realize the potential that you have in Jesus Christ. There is no division between you and you as laity and, and, and I guess, us as, as the pastoral staff. And, and this doesn't mean that you bring your pastoral staff down to the lady level, right, as some is prone to be doing. Rather, you need to see your position as high as your pastors, that you are the royal priesthood, that you have the authority and power to draw people to God and to do even greater things than Jesus did. So speak as a priest. You know, think as a priest. Live life as a priest. And bring glory to God as a priest. So most of you know Molly. I think if you've been here long enough, it's impossible not to know Molly. <laughs> I'm sure you do. You might have seen her jump up after a sermon or, or after some particularly heart-stirring worship song or after service to say a few words that the Holy Spirit has put on her heart for the church. You know, Molly, she lives like she is part of the royal priesthood, does she not? <laughs> She lives like she has the authority of God to minister to the, her people, to his, sorry, his people in a powerful and transforming way. You know, Molly, she takes it upon herself to mentor people. Molly, she trains people up in the Lord. You know, she finds articles, and, and so does her, her husband, Abner, and, and she sends it to the church staff to read. And then she seeks me out, and she says, how? How can I serve even more effectively for Trinity? If she gets it. Imagine if we all got it. That every person sitting in this room got it. That they belong to the priesthood of all believers. Okay, I admit it might get a little chaotic during worship services, Everybody jumping up like Molly does and saying, I have a word, I have a word for you, for, for the church. 
And I'm not saying that if you see yourself as a priesthood of all believers, that you have to act like Molly does in every way that she serves and, and, is, and, and is committed to this role of being a priesthood of all believers. But if we all believed this, took this to heart, imagine, imagine what our church would look like. You know, I, I believe that more lives would be transformed. Our families would be transformed. Our whole communities would be transformed. And just imagine the magnitude of joy we would have partnering with the Lord together in this way. And, and church, you know, we don't have to just imagine it. This is God's design for us. You know, this is his desire for us. As the worship team comes up. I just wanted us to spend just a couple of moments, just, just a few minutes praying on your own to God. You ask him, God, am I part of this? Am I to be a priest? Am I part of the, the royal priesthood? Am I your special possession? Am I chosen? Have you made me holy? You know, I'd wrestle with him if you have this resistance in your heart in that. Ask him, God, what does this look like in my life? So as the, as the worship team pray, uh, plays for us, just spend a few moments just praying and meditating on this.
in one of the last moments Jesus had with his disciples. He said, I'm going to leave you. But the Father would send a helper, the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, it's so difficult to discern the will of God. And as we meditate on, okay, what does it mean to be a priest? How do I go about doing this? And as Brother Abner was sharing with me, you know, it really has to do with depending on the Holy Spirit. And we have to practice discerning what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. By first of all, listening and taking risks. Is this the Holy Spirit speaking to me? You know, so for example, I was driving down the street one time and I saw this complex of, um, of smaller uh, homes in this, this, it was a little community of, of really small homes and, and um, it seemed very much lower class. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, okay, Christine, stop and just walk amongst those homes and pray over the families. And I'm like, God, that's just weird. You know, and I'm going somewhere and I'm going to be late. You know, and I really discern that, Lord, Christine, I just want you to just trust me, do this. And so I parked the car, you know, and I started walking around the homes and just started praying over house after house after house you know and if I saw the children's toys in front of the door I would just pray over the kids of that home pray for the marriages I would pray for their livelihood for their jobs I would I prayed that they would know Jesus Christ and I don't know if anything came out of that you know I, I there was no you know person running out of the house and saying I really needed that but I think my point is this the Holy Spirit is speaking to you all the time, even now. And when you're driving by Home Depot and seeing a couple of um, undocumented uh, individuals being, being taken by the police, or, or when you feel your, the Holy Spirit stirring in your heart and saying, I think this person really needs prayer, to, to do it. To take that risk, do it in the name of Jesus, with the strength of the Holy Spirit. And the more and more you do that, the more and more your life reflects being part of a priesthood of all believers. You know, Jesus, he didn't die just to get us into heaven. You know, the last time Pastor Albert shared that, he got into trouble with an individual who said they were going to leave the church because they said, what? Of course Jesus died to get us into heaven. Jesus did not die just to get us into heaven. He died to give us freedom now. He died to empower us to be, to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit to do and continue the work that Jesus was doing on earth. He died to give us authority to make earth look a little more like heaven to give 
us that mantle of being a priesthood of all believers, to do greater things than even he did. This is the purpose of the cross. And the first of every month here at Trinity Church, we um, participate in a, a sacred ritual that we call communion. And we're going to do communion a little bit differently today. We're going to be just practicing what we've learned, you know, to really believe in our hearts that we are all priests as followers of Jesus. So what I'd like you to do today, I'd like you to come up to one of the, the stations and take a cup, piece of bread, and get into groups of three or four. And I ask you, look around. Make sure that no one is left behind, that no one is left out. Look around. And as priests, if you are followers of Jesus, as priests, I would like you to bless the people in your group by praying God's blessings over them, to ask the Lord, forgive them their sins, and to take the bread and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you, for us. Take the cup and say, this is the blood of Christ shed for us. And if you have not received Jesus as your personal Savior at this time, that's okay. Just, just receive. Receive from the people in your group. So the ushers can come forward. I'm going to be praying over the elements. I would like you to come up, take a piece of bread and a cup, get into groups of three or four, pray for one another, pray blessings for one another, and take the elements together, the priesthood of all believers. Let's pray. upper room, Jesus. God, you, you, you sat with your disciples. Your last meal with them. Jesus, you took the bread and you gave thanks and broke it. And you gave it to your disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then, Lord, you took the cup after supper, and you said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And Jesus, you ask us, as the family of God, to do this with one another, to remember the cross, to know the implications of the cross, Lord. God, may your spirit be in, in each of us, May we, whether we feel awkward or empowered at this moment to be doing this with our brothers and sisters around us, be with us, Lord Jesus. Help us to take to heart what the cup and the bread really means, Father. We pray for your blessing over these elements, Lord. Bless your people today as we remember you. In Jesus' name.
we pray. Amen.